Hey, I'm Jake Humphrey and you're listening to High Performance, our conversation for you every single week. This is the podcast that reminds you that it's within your ambition, your purpose, your story. It's all within. We just help you unlock it by turning the lived experiences of the planet's highest performers into your life lessons. So right now, allow myself and Professor Damien Hughes to speak to the greatest leaders, thinkers, sports stars and entrepreneurs on the planet so they can be your teacher. Remember, this podcast is not about high achievement or high success. It's about high happiness. It's about high self-worth and taking you closer to a life of fulfillment, empathy, and understanding. Today, this is in store. I don't know what to tell you, Jake. I have seen everything. I've seen everything. I've seen every pleasure, every joy, every pain, every suffering, every test. I've seen so much. And so after a while, you somehow look at all of it and you go like, yeah, so... Do I want one more of these? I mean, should I spend a minute of my life chasing one more of these? And the funny thing is when you stop chasing, everything falls in place. The experience of losing Ali, Ali was everything. Ali was my son, but was also my teacher. He was also my coach. He was also my best friend. And he was truly a one of a kind. I mean, I, I feel that his loss is a loss to the world, not just for me. We live in a world where that has been forgotten. So sadly, what we do, and we're very good at it, is we build more products, we sell them faster, we make them expire quicker so that you buy more of them, we package them really well, we sell them all over the place and deliver them, and in the process, we're destroying our planet. The game of life is we want those shortcuts, But those shortcuts for so many of us that got them end up with a disaster because you positioned yourself in a place that was bigger than where you are. Consistent long-term high performance cannot stand missing blocks on the way. He dreamt that he was everywhere and part of everyone, which, yes, just kills my heart every time I remember it because some people say that this is the description of death. Oh, so today we welcome Mo Gaudat to the High Performance Podcast, the former chief business officer of Google X. Google X is the part of their business charged with coming up with the most crazy things you can imagine. He's an incredibly smart guy, but he's also a guy who's changed and he's changed through tragedy. And you're going to hear him talk about that. Um, I can't recommend highly enough his podcast, Slow Mo, where he talks so much about happiness and he will discuss on this podcast the happiness equation. And he believes that you can retrain your brain. You know already that you need to go to the gym and that you need to train your body. But none of us think often enough about the untapped potential that our brain has. You are all bright. You are all brilliant. But also, you all need to work at it. Being happy takes hard work. But you know what? It gives results. It works. And Mo is about to explain exactly that. And I've said so many times that when I started this podcast, I wanted you to hear about the struggles and the setbacks and the knockdowns and the hard times and the clawing for that inch so you can be successful. And my definition of high performance has changed immeasurably since that very first episode with Rio Ferdinand three years ago. My definition now of high performance is being happy. How can it be anything else? And you know what? We're tricked into thinking that we don't deserve to be happy. Well, I can tell you right now, listen to this. Not only do you deserve to be happy, 
you should be happy. And happiness is there for you. Mo will explain it's a choice. And it's a choice you can make after listening to this. It's a choice that is dependent upon the actions that you take and the decisions that you make. But guess what? You're about to hear what they are and how you could adopt them. It's a fantastic episode. I feel so honoured to have welcomed Mo to the High Performance Podcast. I've wanted to have this conversation for months and now we finally get the chance. Welcome to the High Performance Podcast with Mo Gaudat. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Well, let's start then with your definition, if you would, of high performance. High performance, in my view, is the most efficient way to achieve what you're supposed to achieve. And I think that what you're supposed to achieve is usually the bit that is missed out. Uh, so if you head out in life and you're supposed to achieve a, uh, a reasonable mix of happiness, enjoyment, uh, connection to your loved ones and uh, success and money, and you end up really efficiently achieving a lot of success and money, but not the rest of it, that's very poor performance. Uh, I think the preface, if you want, to high performance is to define what it is that you're supposed to achieve and then achieve it as efficiently as you can. So why is society busy telling us that it's the big houses and the fast cars and the pay packets that define high performance rather than the truth and honesty with your partner or children at the end of the day? Well, I think that we live in a highly capitalist society, a society that is entirely based on, I need to sell you something. And sadly, we cannot sell genuine happiness. We cannot because we're born happy. We, you know, it's innate within us. I, you know, happiness in my, in my analysis and my work is the absence of unhappiness. If there is nothing out there to make you unhappy, then your true reality is calm and peaceful and contented and happy with life, right? Now, 
because the society cannot sell you that, cannot sell you contentment, not the society, but let's say the businesses running our society cannot sell you that. What they sell you instead is run, run, run. You know, you need another car, you need a better suit, you need a better dress, you need a, 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 a taller a girlfriend, you need, a, you know, whatever. And they keep selling you those things. And we believe the story. We believe uh, that we need those things to achieve happiness. And so we chase them. And sadly, for most of us, I think you would probably agree, and everyone listening, I would, I would say that, yes, you do achieve some of what you head out to achieve, and then you find that emptiness. You know, is that it? And so you tell yourself, oh, maybe, maybe I bought the wrong color dress. Maybe I should buy another one, but maybe a different color. And then, you know, that doesn't work. And then you go and, and say, oh, maybe I should buy two. Right. If I get two, I think it will be fine. Oh, I'm missing, you know, this or I'm missing that. And we keep running in that hedonic treadmill until eventually for most of us, it's known as the middle age crisis where you, it suddenly really hits you. Doesn't middle age is not the, mid, the, the midpoint of your life. It's the point where you suddenly go like, I've been running so much. I've been running so fast. I was told that those things were going to make a difference to me. And now I've achieved them and I'm so empty what's wrong and once you get into that state that's the state where most of us start to wake up so no retelling of your story mo uh, is able to avoid the the trauma of the of the death of your son ali when he was 21 and i'm interested that you've you're a self-confessed logical person and when you when we hear about that story there was lots of mistakes that happened would you tell us a little bit about how that experience shaped the work that you do and the messages that you're sharing today? I'm a very logical person, uh, but I'm also reasonably high on EQ. And, you know, uh, I've, I've attempted in my life over the years to shift uh, from the hyper-masculine approach to life uh, that took us through, you know, that took me very far to being chief business officer of Google X or whatever, to also internalizing my own being, my own feelings and emotions. The experience of losing Ali, Ali was everything. Ali was my son, but was also my teacher. He was also my coach. He was also my best friend. And he was truly a one of a kind. I mean, I, I feel that his loss is a loss to the world, not just for me. But then he left our world because of a preventable surgical mistake that you know was fixable but they did five of them in a row and they fixed three of them wrong and so in four hours my wonderful handsome wise son left our world now you can take this through logic and you can take this through emotions you can take it literally to hit the ground either way or you can take it to try and make things better okay and i think what happened at the time, which I think was a very, um, maybe, you know, I don't want to call it serendipitous, but maybe the universe wanted it this way. A series of events highlighted to me very quickly that I needed to be at the fifth stage of grief. So, so normally we struggle with grief through five stages and the last one of them is called acceptance, which for some of us takes weeks or months and for some of us takes a lifetime to accept that this is what life has given you and that you cannot reverse it. And, and there is a, a finality to death that just 
cripples you as an executive who's known to run everything and make sure that everything happens exactly as you want it to be, to happen. This is what I was paid for my whole life, you know, to make sure that everything's under control. But then you lose a loved one and you suddenly realize that you have zero control. Like that is nothing within your life is really the stuff that really matters is not really within your control. And so my logical side of course did the right things you know i reported the, the the case so that the you know ministry of health did the right things and you know the the hospital was alerted or penalized the right way so that this mistake doesn't happen again i comforted my family i took care of them and so on and so for these are the logical steps that you need to do it's the emotional i think that really really got me to be with you today so so after ali uh, left us Four days after he left us, his sister Aya, is, he, he really was very, very close to Aya. And he really took care of her almost as the masculine figure, if you want. And uh, so he spoke to her. She lived in Montreal. He lived in Boston. And he spoke to her every single day, at least for an hour, which is very unlike, you know, a, a teenage or a, he was 21 at the time. She was still in her teens. And, uh, and she came to me and said f around two weeks ago, he had a dream. And he dreamt that he was everywhere and part of everyone, which, yes, just kills my heart every time I remember it. Because some people say that this is the description of death. Actually, in my, in my work on, in Soul for Happy, I, I describe death as a way to disconnect from space-time, if you want. And that basically allows you to be everywhere all the time. The minute I heard this as a business executive, all that happened in my head was I heard a quota, a target. Okay, my, my master, my son, my, my best friend and my coach is giving me a target. He's saying, make me everywhere and part of everyone. And I, I just heard myself saying, okay, Habibi, consider it done. I, at the time I ran Google for eight, nine years. I knew how to, to reach billions. This was my skill. I said, done. And, and I basically started in my mind to accept immediately that he's gone and he's not coming back. And that the only way I can keep him part of our world is to take the essence of what he taught me about happiness, about wisdom, and just share it with the world so that in my mathematical calculation, you know, uh, seven years later through six degrees of separation, he's everywhere and part of everyone. S stupid, I can look back now and say, oh, wow, how could you think that way? But it flipped everything upside down, everything upside down. I wrote Solve for Happy, 32 languages, bestseller in almost all of them, reached tens, hundreds of millions, uh, you know, through videos and, and content online and the book and so on. And, and hundreds of thousands of people that would send messages and say, this actually is very different. This changed our look at life. Can I take you back to a phrase that you used uh, when you were describing your business career? You spoke about this hyper-masculinity that had got you to a senior position at one of the world's leading organisations. I'm interested in exploring what that phrase means and how you today look back at that person. So, so we should start by saying masculine and feminine has nothing to do with your gender, your biology, with nothing. I'm 58% feminine. And I know that's my masculine brain talking because 58, you know, ma math and logic are in the 
masculine side of the brain. Now, does that mean that a woman doesn't have math and logic? Of course they do, right? We all have a bit of masculine and a bit of feminine in us. But those feminine and masculine qualities are basically that, they're qualities, right? So you could look at a problem and be intuitive in, in your approach to analyzing a problem, and that intuition is a feminine quality. Or you could be highly analytical and that analytical approach is a masculine quality. You could be super linear, uh, which is masculine, or you could be creative, uh, which is feminine. You could be playful, which is feminine, or you could be disciplined, which is masculine. Now, with each of those, it's a quality, okay? There's never anything wrong with a quality, right? Discipline is good when you're supposed to be disciplined. Playful is good when you're supposed to be playful. Too much discipline makes you stubborn. Too much playful makes you maybe careless, right? And, and so the game of humanity was to always achieve that balance, a balance that makes us as a society reasonably covering all of those blocks, but also a balance that makes you as a human, as a, as a single unit, true to who you really are, okay? So, you, you know, if, if your reality is I'm supposed to be, a, you know, playful sometimes and you're oppressing that all the time, then you're not true to yourself. You're basically not high performance. Why? You're not in your high performance because you're pulling yourself back. You're using some of your energy to contradict your nature, to contradict your, your true abilities. Now, our world in general with capitalism since the Industrial Revolution has prioritized masculine traits. We, we, we prioritize competitiveness, we prioritize uh, you know, linear thinking, we prioritize discipline. And, and this is very apparent in all of, if you wanna summarize it, in all of the doing that we do, right? So, so our entire world, if you really think about it, from the minute you wake up in the morning to the minute you know, you're at least finally away from the modern world, is about do, 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 do. Why? Because that's the way we can measure progress. That's the way we can make more money. We can make more profits. But there is so much you can achieve that is not by doing. There is so much that you can achieve that is by being. And being is a quality of the feminine. Being empathetic to what's happening in Ukraine, it's not the action that you take, it's the empathy that makes you affect the world, right? It is what triggers the right action. Okay, you can be angry, right? And if you're angry at the situation, what is your all, all of your doing going? Your doing is, is going into, I hate the soldiers, I want to, to destroy this, I want to do that. That's wrong. Or you can be compassionate, right? And that being, that essence is what drives the reality of what should be done. We live in a world where that has been forgotten. So sadly, what we do, and we're very good at it, is we build more products, we sell them faster, we make them expire quicker so that you buy more of them, we package them really well, we sell them all over the place and deliver them, and in the process, we're destroying our planet. Now, if we were able to reach in and be and say, do I really need an iPhone 14? Or is my iPhone 10 really good and I can live with it if it's gonna save my planet? Right? Do I really need another car or is my relationship to my wife and kids more important hmm? and I can live a better life without that car? 
And I think this is where things, sadly, uh, that hyper-masculine world is heading to an end. Okay? I'm, I'm not, not a doomsday uh, uh, you know, prediction, but definitely if we don't change, if we don't stop, hmm, we're hurting this world that, that we've built so drastically that it will require a reset. Can I just mention um, the beautiful picture of your son at the front of your new book? It's a, it's a lovely pencil drawing of yes. him, you know, lovely long hair, smile on his oh, face. Yes. It's, a, it's a gorgeous photograph. Um, when I think of what's happened to you since then, and we started this conversation by talking about this constant chase for thinking that the big house or the new car or the hyper-masculine world is what's going to give us happiness. Are you chasing something that you think will give you happiness? Is this, is the story we're discussing today and the conversation on this podcast and the book, do you feel it's helping you to process and grieve? I'm, I'm chasing nothing at all. I know, I know that's the worst thing I can say on a high performance Not podcast. I'm chasing nothing at all. I'm performing really well at the tasks that come at hand. Yeah. But I'm chasing nothing at all. There is such an interesting side. And I, it's not just because of losing Ali. Of course, losing a loved one puts things in perspective, right? Losing a child is probably the, it's the hardest experience ever. And also, I think it puts everything in perspective more than anything I could think of. But that's not the issue. The issue is that I've been so successful there was a point, and I, I, I am ashamed to say it, I swear I'm not bragging. There was a point where I had 16 cars in my garage, right? And, you know, you can only drive one. I lived in a nine-bedroom place. You can only sleep in one bed. The reality is, and, and somehow, you know, when you go along, you know, along the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you realize that what makes you happy uh, becomes less and less of an ingredient for your happiness the more you've experienced it. You know, interestingly, most of what we were told makes us happy. Um, I differentiate heavily between happiness, which is serotonin in your blood, uh, you know, calm and peaceful contentment when you're okay with life as it is, and excitement and elation and fun and pleasure and all of those other replacements that are dopamine in your blood. Dopamine basically is a reward, jolt of, of reward in your blood. Basically, your body saying, oh my God, that feels amazing, I want more of it. Now, when you differentiate between the two, you see that dopamine is addictive. So the more of it you have in your life, the more you downregulate for it, you don't feel it anymore. And so, yeah, you get the first car and you think that you're the, the, the king of the world, and yeah, the second car is not really that big of a deal. And the third is like a disappointment. And the fourth is like, what am I doing with my life? But then you continue, right? We're all deluded in that way. And, and I think what happens in reality after maybe not just because of the loss of Ali, but perhaps because of age and because I don't know what to tell you, Jake, I have seen everything. I've seen everything. I've seen every pleasure, every joy, every pain, every suffering, every test, I've seen so much. And so after a while, you somehow look at all of it and you go like, yeah, so do I want one more of these? I mean, should I spend a minute of my life chasing one more of these? And, and the funny thing is when you stop chasing, everything falls in place. So why does that happen then? Once we stop chasing, 
what are things because about? because you have to imagine that you have finite resources take your intellectual horsepower you have a finite amount of it regardless of how intelligent you are you can dedicate that amount to doing what is needed which is to focus on the conversation know the guest reasonably well prepare your questions well you know um, ask the team to edit it well and so on or you can ask them to chase you can ask them to go and you know struggle with life and you just take a chunk of your bandwidth and put it in the chase when actually this is not just my style when i joined google in 2007 end of 2006 um you know it blew me away because i came from microsoft very competitive love microsoft too but very competitive everything is on the spreadsheet everything's calculated and google was in its infancy really we were just starting to make a big difference even though the company started a few years before but but in google hmm, they didn't really care that much i i remember i had a conversation with larry and sergey and very early on about you know maybe you can do this and rev- the revenue will go this way and and their answer was very straightforward no hold on if if we give you a very good product and people love it hmm, and they're using it all the time then the money will come right and i was like yeah and they said maybe we should just build a very good product and honestly and truly in the fir- in the early years where google really was google that's all we focused on we would go from country to country language to language and just build the most incredible ability for people to find access to information and yeah the money poured in and we we didn't really focus on the money pouring in part we focused on fulfilling the promise and the money pouring in was the byproduct but how can you not now chase the numbers when your guiding light is the message spreading happiness of a billion happiness because your ego is put in check at a point in your life when you realize that something like that is not di- done by you but it's done through you there is a mega difference so when you're aligning and i know this is a bit spiritual if you want but if you've read the alchemist uh, paulo coelho when you know your life's purpose the universe conspires to make it happen think of it this way life has physics and biology and chemistry and gravity and whatever behind it right there are rules to life if you are pro life if you're helping life life helps you back or at least doesn't resist you right if you're not life pushes back and so you have to push harder and harder and harder and so yes we we try really hard we measure the numbers we do all of things although those things when we're either opposing or we're not fully aligned for, with what's good for others right if what you're doing is good for others i mean your podcast is an example why do you have 400,000 uh, listeners per episode or you know viewers per episode it's because you you must be doing something right for them you must be bringing something amazing for them right Once you do that then you can measure or not measure but the reality is that the reason why it's so popular is because it's doing some good now if it's not that good this is where marketing and advertising comes in you know honestly most of the time when something is heavily advertised to me i wonder if it's any good at all right it's like if it was any good i wouldn't need to be bombarded with ads all the time right if it was any good my friends would tell me that they tried it and it's amazing so i'm in that place i believe that what i'm doing is not me doing it i believe that life wants a billion people to be happy i believe that happiness today 
is probably the most important component of a time that's gone mad. So if I show up every morning and I do the best that I can, probably the tailwinds are pushing me forward. Have you read the the brilliant book by um, The Second Mountain by David Brooks that talks I have around? Not, no, yeah. Because um, there's a real reminder of that, uh, of what you're describing, Mo, where he talks about, for so many of us, the first mountain of life is climbing yeah. up the yes, yes, career yes, yes, ladder. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. then we get to that place yes. that, unfortunately for Ali's death, made you realise there's a second mountain to climb, yeah. and that's where it's about yeah. connection and making a difference. Do you think you could have been successful on that first mountain of life, adopting the lessons that you're now espousing? I have been. I mean, most people don't. Look, I'm Egyptian, born and raised in Egypt, taught in, you know, in a public school, public university in Egypt. So honestly, I don't attribute any of what I did in, my, in life to my highly uh, sophisticated education or my intelligence. I'm not, right? I think what happened in my life, and I say that openly, is that... I somehow, 1992 specifically, was positioned firmly to be aligned with the objectives of life. And once I did, life started to push me forward. It was 1992, I was a salesman at IBM uh, in Egypt. And we had uh, one of the most devastating earthquake in my lifetime in Egypt. And it destroyed like 60% of Egyptian schools or at least made them structurally not, uh, uh, you know, viable to, to study in. And so aid came from all over the world to, re, um, pro, uh, you know, to rebuild Egyptian schools. Uh, the government established an organization called EBO, Egyptians Buildings Organization. And EBO uh, went out and submitted a, a tender for companies to provide GIS systems, geographical information systems, and CAD systems, and you know, basic automation on all levels. And so I went, I was a very good salesman, I managed to win a deal, 80% of it was not going to work. But I won the bid anyway, it's government, which government applies anything anyway. And I will tell you, around four months in, before we even delivered most of those machines, I've not been sleeping for around three months because I basically told myself I won a $4 million bid, but people are not going to go to school. Like, what am I doing? And so I, I knocked on the door of the Minister of Education, sat outside. Hmm? Can I meet the minister? And they said, who are you? And I'm like, I'm the IBM account manager. And I went at 9 a.m. He finally met me at 6.30 p.m. I walked in and I said, look, this, this and that will work that, that, and this will not, I suggest that you cancel our order on those things. And I basically went to the office the next day believing that I will be fired. Right? Around 2.4 of the 4 million uh, were basically going to be canceled. And the minister actually called his team in and he said, the IBM guy is saying those things will not work. What are we going to do? So they canceled the order. He called me the next day and said, what would work? And I said, Oracle would do this very well. You know, those guys would do this very well. Uh, you know, if you'd like me to help you on, you know, assessing them, I'm on, you know, I'm at your service, but let's do this quick and let's make it work. Yeah. And then my boss was very supportive, said you did the right thing. You know, it might have been a, a very complex deal afterwards if we didn't deliver. So it's okay, but you should have told me. I was like, I, I was fearing if I told you, you would say no. Anyway, Three weeks later, the Minister of Education calls me and gives me a direct order with, for $16 million, direct. 
okay, which in government is unbelievable, okay? Simply he sat me down and he said, we need those systems, which of those can you provide? And I said, your excellency, I need a bit of time to analyze it. He said, okay, come back tomorrow. Studied them, told him this, 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 and that works, that, that, and that, you take from those guys. And he said, okay, if you tell me that, I will believe you. And suddenly in my mind, I realized that there is another path through life, okay? There is a path of being clever and fighting through life. And there is a path of being honest and working with life. And I chose for the rest of my life to go down that path. For the entire career that I had in business, I never sold a thing, okay? I made my quota every quarter by sitting there listening to customers and saying, okay, what do you actually need? What do you actually need? What do you actually need? And then eventually I say, if I gave you this and this and that, and it worked this way, would you pay this for it? And they would say yes, every single time. Because I'm not trying to sell, I'm actually trying to help. And you are now trying to help by spreading a message about happiness. Before we talk about happiness and how we can all find it and why we don't have enough of it and why it is this kind of ethereal thing that we're all trying to grasp hold of, I want to ask you why happiness? Because hmm. what, what was it that Ali told his sister again before he passed away? He said, I felt... Everywhere and part of everyone. I was everywhere and I was part of everyone. There's lots of different things that could have been everywhere and part of everyone. But happiness is the thing that is now being spread everywhere and part of everyone. When you think back to Ali as a, as a young boy and even as a teenager, why happiness? Why was that? Do you message? see, we, we're, we're very, we had a very um, uh, wrong message delivered to us by our parents and our teachers. Our parents and our teachers told us, work really hard for a very long time, mm. uh, make a lot of money, buy a lot of things, and then you'll find happiness. And, and half of the promise worked right? You, you know, you work really hard for a long time, you buy a lot of things and make a lot of money. But that doesn't necessarily mean you become happy, right? You know, you, you know of so many people that are swimming in money that are famous and rich, and that are committing suicide, right? The truth is, we were told that we're supposed to be successful as a prerequisite to happiness. The reality is that if you're happy doing what you're doing, you're likely going to be very successful at it. So it's uh, interestingly the other way around. Huh? Best football players in the world, my fellow countryman Mo Salah loves to play football. If you had forced him to become a mathematician, he would have been mediocre at it at best, right? If you'd forced me to play football, good luck with that. So the idea is, can we actually reverse that? Now, people will say, oh, come on, you know, toughen up. What happiness? Like work, hard work is what gets us somewhere. No, it depends on how you define happiness. If happiness is to go surfing, uh, you know, and on the coast of Australia, then you have the wrong definition. Happiness, in my view, is a calm and peaceful contentment when you're okay with life as it is. Best quality of an entrepreneur ever is to be okay with the challenges that you're going to meet. You know, you start a business and the first thing that happens is the business goes wrong and you have to pivot. Okay, and unless you're okay with the reality that yes, force majeure will happen. Yes, things will go unlike what you expect them. Otherwise, why would you be the one that created the ama amazing breakthrough? When you're okay that way, when you're peaceful and calm and contented, you succeed more. Now, what does that mean? It interestingly means that happiness is a lot like health. If you get a tiny bit of a sore throat, you stop, you go like, okay, no, 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 hold on. I need vitamin C, I need to drink warm liquids, I need some, you know, and so on, 
because you know instinctively that without your health, you're not in the optimum form of you to succeed in life, to survive and succeed in life. Tons of, of studies will tell you that without your happiness, you're likely not going to go very far. Why? Because you're going to be wasting lots of your brain cycles, you know, thinking about what's stressing you or making you unhappy. You're going to be grumpy and all of your colleagues and customers will hate you and not want to work with you. You're going to not have a wonderful mate in your life because you're upsetting everyone and no one wants to live with you. And so you're going to be even grumpier. You're going to, and so on. You're going to report more sick leaves. You'll always be disgruntled with the job that you have. So you don't want to give anything to it and so on and so forth. People who are happy are between 12 and 37% more productive at anything that they do. So when you really think about it this way, happiness, your default state when you were born as a child is also your optimum mode of survival and performance. And if you see it that way, then suddenly your happiness doesn't become a privilege. It's your duty. It's your duty to find that calm and peaceful contentment as you navigate life. Right, So that when challenges come your way, you simply look at them calmly, wisely, and do the right thing. If you're unhappy and constantly complaining and constantly you know, disgruntled with life, you're wasting too much effort. So take us into that pause and that moment of choice. Yeah. And give us, and for our listeners especially, what are some of the hacks into that moment that allow us to then access Big, biggest hack i ever was i was ever told was when i hosted my best one of my dear dear friends uh, jill balti taylor uh, if you know her the new neuroscientist scientist you absolutely have to get her over, over here she's brilliant and she basically studied our behavior when we are negative and she says from the second you are triggered on the negative side so say an, a, an event makes you angry to the second that you're filled with stress hormones, to the second that you took an action and those, or you didn't, but those hormones were flushed out of your body, is 90 seconds. That's it. You cannot be angry for more than 90 seconds. Wow, okay. But then what happens is you run the thought in your head again and you renew your 90 seconds. And then you run it again unconsciously huh? and you renew your 90 seconds. While in reality, hmm, what you get after those 90 seconds is a buffer where you can stop and say, I, I, I lost my phone, right? You get a mix, a cocktail of weird emotions, right? One is, how stupid am I? You know, I hate those guys that took it. You know, what will I do with the photos? I wish I had, you can, you can have a cocktail of those emotions. And if you actually observe, you get those emotions and then there is that tiny buffer. Right? And that tiny buffer allows you to go and say, now what am I going to do? I can be angry at the, at the world or I can go buy another phone or I can go, you know, uh, um, cancel my SIM or I can, you know, go to my computer and block the phone or, right? And, and once you get into that buffer, hmm, suddenly you move in the right direction. Now, I basically put that buffer in a flow chart. And it's a very, very simple way for me, because I, I always say, if I were to teach the world happiness, I'm not qualified. I, I try my best, but I'm not like the big, you know, teachers. I need to be the Olympic champion of the sport. I need to be someone that lives what I, pre what, what I preach, right? 
And so I basically measure how quickly I bounce back to happiness from unhappiness. We all feel unhappy every now and then because events miss our expectations. It's a survival mechanism, right? But how quickly can you take an event that missed your expectations and then bounce back to, I can deal with this? For me, on average, it's seven seconds. Other than a few times a year where it might be an hour or a day, but regularly the little things that upset us all the time, they last seven seconds. Okay, and seven seconds because I go through a flow chart and the flow chart is very straightforward. Is it true? Can I do something about it? Can I accept it and do something despite its presence? And it's really not that intelligent when you when you think back about it. Huh? So go for it. Is it true? Is it true? 90% of the things that make us unhappy are not even true. Like your boyfriend or girlfriend says something hurtful on Friday, your brain is telling you he or she doesn't love you anymore. That's not true. That's your brain's magical work on making a, a, a scenario that can win the Oscar, right? The truth is he or she said something hurtful. You want to get to the point of they don't love me anymore. There is a lot more analysis that needs to be done around that. Okay. okay. And most of the time, if you actually just ask the question, is it true? Hmm? Most of the time, you know, you find that it isn't. So you go to the second. If it, if it is not true, drop it. If it is true, you go to the second and the second is very straightforward. You know, can I do something about it? Can I do something about it? It's the answer to high performance all the time. Hmm? It's, the, it's the right way to handle a problem. So can I do something about it is simply do it. If there is something you can do about it, do it. Don't sit in the corner and cry like a baby. It's not going to fix anything. You're not six-year-old anymore, right? So if, you're, if there is something you can do about it, do it. The Jedi master level of happiness, however, is if there is, isn't something you can do about it. Losing Ali... You can't do anything about it. He, he's gone. It's nothing. Nothing you can do to bring him back, and and that is what I. This is you know basically what I call committed acceptance. Committed acceptance is to say, not the best scenario life. I would have preferred if you'd had taken us in another scenario, but I have to acknowledge that this has happened. And so, if it has happened, can I accept it? Accept it as a reality, the new baseline of my life, and do something despite its presence to make my life better, or the life of others better. Can I, you know, do I want to sit in a corner and hit my head against the wall because Ali left? Yes, I do. But how, what difference will that make to life? Hmm? What makes a difference to life is I sit down in a corner, write what he taught me about happiness, share it with the world. So he's remembered and the world is a little happier. So, so that, you know, when, when I wrote that flowchart, it's part of my next book, uh, uh, That Little Voice in, in Your Head. I basically realized that our brains are constantly hurting us okay they're constantly incessantly thinking about the wrong things and that what you want is to think the right thoughts and the right thoughts are useful thoughts or joyful thoughts okay the, f the way to find your your useful thoughts is to go through the flow chart analyze it if it's true can i do something about it or can i accept it and make the world better despite its present really interesting one of the challenges though when we talk about high performance is that People, we're constantly saying to people, set big goals, set big ambitions, Love want great things, let's go, let's... Yeah. And then when the world doesn't give us that, then we go, oh, I don't want to say to people, don't expect great things. Not at all. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm, what I'm saying is there is a difference between expectations and ambitions. Yeah. Okay. So when, when, when Soul for Happy came out, hmm, the, 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 again, blurry me... I had a mission that was called 10 million happy. 
I told you the mathematics were if I reach 10 million, six degrees of separation 70 years later, it will be everywhere and everyone, part of everyone, right? That was my math. Could be right, could be wrong, but that was what I thought of. Then I came here to Channel 4 in the UK, part of the book tour. I did an interview on Channel 4, which two days in was viewed 7 million times. Four days in was viewed 37 million times, which was the highest ever clip in the history of Channel 4 uh, uh, news. By day 12 or 11 or something like that, it was viewed 87 million times to the point that the CEO of Channel 4 at the time called me in and said, we've been broadcasting violence all our life. Why are people so interested in happiness? Right? (laughs) Great question. And so the target was blown out of the water, right? So 10 million happy. And we don't just measure views, by the way. We measure people who take action was imminently going to happen. Okay. And so we are a tiny team, five, five people. And they started to say, you're a sandbagger. You know, you're never, you never really set the right targets. We should be, make a bigger target. And we went to 1 billion happy. Now, 1 billion, if you ask me, is very unrealistic. No, you know, I mean, how many humans in history hmm, have ever reached a billion people, right? And, you know, I, I don't even want to reach a billion people. It would be wrong because then the mission would be me. And, and, you know, I'm going to die or going to make a mistake or going to be seen kissing someone in public or whatever, you know, and, and somehow I could destroy the mission. So, so the idea is, can I actually have a proper mission that is a million people championing a billion happy and we hopefully get completely forgotten, the, the small team that started it. And that, that actually is our mission. Back to your question. I still wake up every morning with the ambition of a billion happy. I, I do, right? But... I don't kill myself on the days where I reach five people or a thousand people or, you know, if, by the way, if you, if you, if you build a, a beautiful reel and it reaches 10,000 people in the bigger scheme of a billion, you're supposed to be disappointed. Not at all. If I made you guys happy today, perfect. If four of our listeners stayed with us this long and became happy, even better, right? What is within my expectations is that if I do the best I can, I will reach the furthest I can. And so I wake up every morning, do the best that I can. And if I've achieved the best that I can, then perfect. If I don't, I reflect and say, what did I do wrong and do it better next time. But directionally, directionally, I'm dreaming of one day after I've left this world where a billion people have, you know, found happiness as a result. Okay. That's wonderful, but that's not what drives my daily target setting. My daily target setting is driven by realistic expectations of I'm trying the best I can. That's the only, that's the maximum I can do. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. What was the single most important thing relating to happiness that Ali taught you? Ali taught me so many things. I think the biggest one that completely flipped me upside down was, I remember, I'm a very, very high-performing executive most of my years. And then I went to Google, became head of emerging markets, vice president of emerging markets. So I started half of Google's operations globally. And then I went to Google X, which is this moonshot factory that's building innovations. Uh, you know, I was chief business officer with the objective of really solving big problems that affect a billion people or more. So I'm in that TED talk mentality. You know, my, most of my life, I'm like, okay, we're going to do something amazing and that's going to change the world and it's going to be worthy of 18 minutes on stage and then, you know, we'll set the next thing. And he comes and sits next to me and says, Papa, I have to tell you something. He was 16, I think, at the time. Papa, I have to tell you something, but it's going to upset you. It's like, I learned, I swear to you, this boy was so wise. When he said, I want to tell you something, I listened. Okay. So I said, no, no, Habibi, tell me. What, what, what do you have in mind? He said, but you're going to be upset. No, just please tell me. And he said, Papa, you're never going to fix the world. I was like, why, Ali? Why, why don't you have that spark? You know, why, you know, why are you not dreaming of the TED Talk? Sort of in my head. Hmm? And he said, Papa, the world will always have people that are suffering. Okay. The truth is you're never going to fix it. You're never going to fix it. You may impact it a little bit. Hmm? If you learn to first fix your little world. Damn you, Ali. That was totally the opposite of what I did in my life. He basically said, look, if you fix your little world, life will trust you enough to make your little world a little bigger. If you fix that, it will be a little bigger and a little bigger. So if you really want to change the world, hmm, you fix yourself. And if you fix yourself, we will trust you. Diplomatically saying, we don't yet, okay? <laughs> and 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 we and then you'll change us, me, yeah. my sister, and my my mother. And then if you do that well, then maybe your department at work, and then maybe your company, and then maybe your country. And right, as long as you keep doing it right. Hmm? And he directed me to a documentary on uh, on Netflix, Gyro something, the sushi maker. Basically, when you're a sushi chef, first they start you off fanning the rice for years and years. You fan the rice. Okay, until you really fan the rice really well, then they'll have you wash the dishes or something else. And then they'll have you wrap the first one. Years and years later, when you consistently did the right thing, you become 
the master chef, right? And, and that's the game. The game of life is we want those shortcuts, but those shortcuts for so many of us that got them end up with a disaster because you positioned yourself in a place that was bigger than where you are. Consistent long-term high performance cannot stand missing blocks on the way. So how do we not miss the blocks? And how do we start by doing the small things look, that are not particularly sexy or exciting? But Look under your feet, not at the target. That's the way not, not, not to miss a block. Hmm? So, so the idea is, I know on my next startup that if I did the right things, hmm, the startup will shine, right? But if I start my next business focusing on the startup shining, I don't get all of the blocks ticked on the way, right? What I need to do is I need to say, this is where, where, where we're heading and these are the blocks I need to step on. At least that's how I see it now. I will look at those blocks and do them to the best of my abilities until they're as perfect as they can be. And I will stop every day and reflect if those next three blocks are still my next three blocks. By the way, most of us don't realize this. Most of us don't realize that life is a quest. It's not a journey, okay? The difference between a journey and a quest is, a journey is, 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 a, is a, a, a trip that you've done before, okay? You know the path. I'm gonna go here and then I'm gonna turn left and then I'm gonna, right? Most of our life is a quest. We've not done that before. You take a couple of steps and it's almost a, a quest in deep fog. You take a couple of steps forward and then you stop and you reflect and you say, is this really still the right direction? Or maybe should I go left a little bit? And then you take one step to the left and stop and assess and say, should I continue? That's how life is huh? when it comes to our relationships. Huh? You, first you fall in love with someone and then you go like, hold on, hold on, that's not the right thing. And then you go a little bit to the right and say, no, I want a taller one. And then, oh, no, no, hold on, taller is like a little too much for me. I need one that is smarter. And you, you just going, keep going through that quest until eventually you say, aha, now I know, right? Now I found out how to tread that journey and then, you go fall in love with the right person that fits you and then go along that journey, ticking those boxes one by one and then end up in the right place, right? And applies to everything, to your business, to your, you know, to, to your finances, to your happiness. I'm intrigued about how that same thing applies to your family because you're describing like the, like the wisdom that Ali was sharing with you at 16 years of, of age is, is breathtaking. And I'm interested in, what sort of father you were when you think about just looking under your feet rather than at the target? I, I did some good things and some horrible things. Um, I was very, 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 very driven, very driven. Again, in, in uh, that little voice in your head, that's the opening uh, introduction. The minute Ali came into the world, I became a different person, okay? And I'm, you know, I'm, I don't know how to say this diplomatically. I'm not really into kids, I don't like kids. I mean, I love my kids. I don't hate the other ones, but if you keep them at a bit of a distance, I'm more comfortable. <laughs> Kids and little puppies. I mean, very cute, but not mine, right? So, so you know, I, if you're a dog lover, I apologize. But anyway, that's how I feel. Hmm? But the minute I saw Ali, I promise you something in me shifted, okay? And my entire being shifted into no longer the one that was focused on me, but a, a father that meant to put everything I can into making sure that this, this little pruny creature never needs anything, okay? And like all of us, once I 
put myself on that path, I ran a sprint for years and years and years and years and years, never stopping to review the context until actually they were maybe seven, eight or so. I was just running like a maniac, making so much money that they don't need, okay? But still running because they will never need anything in their life, right? And, and, and the challenge for me was, I actually realized that what they actually needed was me to be there beyond the point where you can provide what they actually needed was for me to be there what they actually needed was for me to not to snap what made you realize that habibti aya my daughter remember early 30s i was an executive at microsoft reasonably senior i was a very very serious trader in the stock market at the time the tools were not very sophisticated and i was very mathematical and I was a developer, so I wrote my own code uh, to actually create my own develop, you know, trading strategy, and I sort of printed money on demand. And uh, everything was going you know, well, but I was totally stressed, totally grumpy. And Saturday morning, I'm looking at something, reading an email or reviewing a stock performance or whatever. Aya walks in, and she's jumping up and down. Uh, from excitement, you know, we're going to go to this place and we're going to do this and then we're going to do that. And can we go have ice cream afterwards? And I'm like, can we please be serious for a minute? She was five. She was five. What was I talking about? Okay. And I could see with my own eyes, with my own eyes, I could see my daughter's heartbreak. Okay. It was so clear. See, she suddenly from that elation, she looked down and burst crying and ran away, okay? And I just suddenly realized I don't like me that way. I really don't like that person, okay? And I, I made it my commitment that from that moment on, hmm, I'm going to change. It took me 12 years to master it, right? Four and a half years to even begin to see results. But I made it my number one choice to stop being that grumpy, annoying, rich bastard, sorry to say, and become a human that actually prioritizes things properly. It's a great story. And there's a great lesson as well in life there that when do we stop being the ones that are excited about ice cream? I'm my kid the other Aww. day he went to school, okay, and he said to me, he said, I'd I'd love you. He said, Dad, I'd love a um I'd love a water slide. I said, I'll tell you what then, while you're at school, I'll build you a water slide and it'll take you to the beach. He's six years old. And when he came home, he ran around the side of the house. I thought, where's he going? And he came back crestfallen. Where's the water Where's slide? Where's the water slide? Yeah. <laughs> what I love, though, is that he, at six years old, he genuinely believes his dad can build a water slide while he's at school from our house to the beach 40 miles away. <laughs> it's a shame that we You're lose that now. in life, isn't it? Yeah. And we no longer believe that anything can be possible. There's a real joy in that, you know. But playfulness, remember, is on the feminine side. Yeah. And our hyper-masculine world deprioritizes that. But some of the most, some of the wisest masters I have learned from uh, or became friends with uh, will tell you that the absolute best path through life, the most efficient high performance path through life is to play. And I, I know this sounds really weird. I, so I, I am a very, very serious video gamer, very serious. Like I don't, if you, I'm, I never say my, uh, my gamer's name in public because uh, I'm the one that killed you yesterday. So it's, it's as simple as that, right? <laughs> and the way I play, I promise you, is the highest performance I have ever achieved in life, is the ability to tune into a game 
and move from the analytical, strategic, clever player to total flow. Total flow is to blend with the game of life. Hmm? Is to literally let life tell you in microsecond intervals, take a little left, go this way, do that. And believe it or not, that is the skill. If, you, if you've ever worked with very senior business leaders or very senior coaches, or they no longer analyze. They're in flow. They're completely, they're, they're part of the flow of the game, part as, the, as, as life ticks along. They're able to see and respond, not see and analyze and, and work and push. And we've had some amazing guests on this podcast that have described that, that state of flow, that state of grace. How do you get there? Actually, in my next book, I, I realized while I was researching it, that flow is the only state where you get dopamine and serotonin at the same time in your body. So you're very excited, but you're very calm at the same time. And, uh, and interestingly, uh, what happens is, uh, first of all, you have to let go of the long-term objective. You have to be here now, okay? If you tell me our objective of today is to do an hour of conversation, and I focus on the hour, then my performance sucks for 50 minutes, and then the last 10 minutes are okay, right? I need to focus on minute by minute as I go along, hmm? uh, focus on every question rather than the last question, if you know what I mean. So, so the first approach to flow is stop focusing on the result, focus on the performance. That's number one. Number two is you only flow when the task is slightly more difficult than your skills, but not difficult enough to distract you and not easy enough for you to lose interest or not focus on it entirely. So if you're able to play um, a song at a certain speed, then flow is to just, to flow, you just have to tick the speed up a tiny bit, okay? And then now you're really, not really struggling, but you're challenged if you want. Uh, and then the third is you, you focus on the components, each component. Of the of the task, not not uh, you know. So so basically, you're you're perfecting every uh, every strum on your guitar, not the entire solo. You're you're just looking at every strum individually and saying, if I get that strum right, uh, then I'll focus on the next one and then on the next one and then. so be, being in the present moment completely. And to be able to do that, you have to remove all distractions. So these are my five four rules again. Part of my of my work in that little voice in your head is to say your four rules are you have to do that. And once you remove distractions hmm, and your your task is challenging you a little bit and you're focusing on bit by bit of it, not on the final end destination, uh, you get into flow. And by the way, flow seems to have been reserved in life to athletes and pianists and so on who are at the top level of execution. Not true at all. You can flow when you're playing with your daughter. You can flow when you're talking to your son. Right? It's basically that idea of I'm going to do a little better than last time hmm? and I'm going to focus on every single word, every single action rather than the big picture. And I'm going to switch off my phone, switch off all other distractions so that I'm completely in that space. And distractions in the modern world is another whole conversation. Oh, absolutely. And we're, we're probably more distracted every day, Jake, than we are actually focusing. It's quite interesting how we shifted. I, I hosted uh, Nir Eyal, if you, you, you absolutely should host him here. I wrote a book called Indistractable. He basically would describe to you how all of the distractions we have in our life are not the result of desires, but they are actually the results of uh, pains and discomforts. 
that you reach out to your phone constantly because you're uncomfortable. You're, you know, you feel a discomfort that you don't know what's happening or that you may miss something out. You know, you're constantly looking at Instagram to see if you got a like because you're, you know, you feel the discomfort of do they like me? You know, it, all of those things are driven by discomforts, not by uh, actual desires. And because we have so much on our minds now, the discomforts are more prominent than actual comforts in life. Can I just um, take you back to something you mentioned about learnings and, and leaders and things that you've picked up from people? What is the single most important piece of learning from a spiritual guide that you have picked up in your life that is something that you would regularly come back to? My favorite piece of learning was to learn how to learn. When I finished uni, uh, the, one of the most profound decisions I ever made was I'm going to invest an hour a day in my brain. And so I, I consistently, most days in my life would spend an hour either reading a book or watching a documentary or, you know, doing something useful on YouTube or whatever. And you'll be blown away. Uh, you know, if Malcolm Gladwell's uh, theory of 10,000 hours uh, is true, I've done 10,000 hours more of learning than my peers who didn't do that when they uh, stopped university. And that really flips everything upside down. When you think about it, uh, you know, over the years, it just keeps adding up. On the spiritual side, I would say maybe the freshest on my mind is I'm, I'm working, my, my following book in November is called uh, Unstressable. And I'm working with a, a wonderful British uh, young lady, uh, Alice Law, who's a, a stress management expert. And Alice uh, and I were working on a, on a chapter called Spiritually Stressed Today with the context of helping people understand that spirituality is actually not what religion told you at all. That most of us have abandoned our right to spirituality, and I say right to spirituality, because those who claimed the spirituality brand misbehaved. And so interestingly, we were driving to the point that while the scientific method is concerned with everything that's physical, with analyzing everything that, that's physical, if you want to analyze anything that's beyond physical, the philosophy you use for that is spirituality. And I use philosophy because it's not science. You cannot prove what's not physical. I think the most interesting part of this conversation uh, in the chapter is that spirituality is very personal, which most people didn't understand because the, the typical approach to spirituality is we're going to follow a cult or a religion or a, or a guru or you know someone is going to tell us to unify around one approach to it, when in reality, there could be 7.3 billion approaches to spirituality. It's your own personal spirituality. As long as, you, as long as you choose to say, I think there are things that I cannot measure with the scientific method that do exist, and I need to ponder those. Things like love, for example. We all have felt love, but we've never managed to measure it with a, a love-o-meter uh, in you know in physics or in, in in science right so so once you realize that there are things that are not physical that do exist consciousness love uh, or maybe the existence of a, you, you know a oneness between us or a, a soul or something else you don't have to agree or disagree but you have to ponder those and when you ponder them because there are so many of them you'd end up in a configuration that's your own you know if you ask me what spirituality do i uh, you know, do I believe in? I I believe in what Mo believes in. It doesn't have to align to you know Christianity or Islam or whatever. It just it's it's, it's the result of my own uh, investigation, my own exploration, if you want. I'd love you to teach us 
the kind of messages that we need to get better at regarding the following. The first one is, how do we get better at being more optimistic? <laughs> uh, your, uh, your worst nightmares have never happened. Just remember that, okay? Remember that you're still here with a beautiful electronic device in your hand, uh, watching a podcast that's recorded on a very fascinating piece of technology. Life is okay. It's a great saying, you've survived 100% of your worst days. Exactly, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> finding highlights. Finding, finding highlights. Six to seven of every 10 thoughts in the adult brain are negative. Simply because, this is a research at Stanford University, simply because your brain is a survival machine. Your brain is supposed to find what's wrong because what's wrong is more important for your survival. If a tiger shows up in this room, my brain has no benefit whatsoever to say, look at the beautiful patterns, right? Uh, it, it has every benefit to say, shit, we're going to die, right? It does that with everything. Huh? The reality, however, if you're into math and facts, is that 99.9% .9 of life is positive. When you see it that way, you realize that 99.9% .9 of life is okay, right? And so if you're not seeing the highlights, you're lying to yourself. And what good does it give you to actually analyze life based on the wrong information? The correct information is that 99.9% .9 of life is okay. And the last one I wanted you to talk to us about is gaining perspective. But I guess the two are linked, actually. Oh, I, it's just so, so fresh on my mind. I don't know if I should share this. One of my best friends, uh, a gentleman called Sam. Sam is a real... Um, he has chivalry. He's a, he's a good man. Helped me so much when Ali uh, left our world. But we also did a lot of business together. And uh, back in 2018, life was very stressful for me. The book was out and I was rushing around and so on. And anyway, somehow I told Sam, Sam, maybe I should get out of the business parts of things, uh, you know, and reconcile our businesses for now. And then we had a meeting and we agreed on a few things and I felt that he treated me unfairly, okay? And so when that happened, I simply uh, sort of felt bad about it and maybe was less in touch with Sa. Until a, a couple of months ago, I called him and I said, come on, man, we're, we're good friends. You know, let's leave our heart, you know, heart feelings behind and just meet. Sat in front of him and, I sa and he said, what happened? And I said, it's okay, let's forget it. And he was like, no, I can't forget it. It hurts me so much. I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, well, when we had that business meeting, you wrote me a check to reconcile our business for a significant sum of money. The check bounced, okay? And I never got that amount of money. I called you and you ignored me. And then I sent you a message on uh, WhatsApp. You didn't answer. I sent you a message on Facebook. You didn't even open it. And then both my father and my mother died with two weeks apart. And you never called me. And I can tell you the rest of the story. But in my mind, the perspective of the situation was Sam was unfair to me when we reconciled the business. When in reality, I was an asshole. Almost bordering on criminal to give him a check that bounces when we're reconciling our business. And that's probably the biggest reason why we do bad in life. Hmm? Nobody wakes up in the morning and, and says, hey, I'm going to hurt someone today or I'm going to do something horrible that makes everyone dislike me. 
right? Everyone is informed by a perspective, okay? By a, a vantage point, if you want, that is so limited because none of us knows everything. And then we build our entire stories in our heads on top of that. Mm? And those stories destroy us, mm? destroy our best friendships, destroy our, uh, you know, our relationships, our love, uh, you know, and romantic relationships. They destroy everything. Mm? And I wonder, I mean, this story with Sam's probably was very shocking for me because I'm not like that. Mm? But so many of us go through this on daily basis. My boss is this, the government is that, you know, the NHS is that or whatever, I don't know. Mm? And, and, and it's so shocking when you actually stop and say, could I be blind? Maybe I'm not seeing the full picture what is it that I'm missing? Hmm? What excuses do the others have? What is their story? Empathy once again at the fore. Absolutely. Let's move on to our quickfire questions, Mo. Yeah. Your three non-negotiables for life. Honesty, love, and doing good. If you could go back to one moment of your life, what would it be and why? Oh, I'd go back to the moment he left and hug him one more time. How important is legacy to you? Nothing. As a matter of fact, it's distracting. What legacy? I'll be dead. I don't care. Seriously, why, why do people think about that? Hmm? So do you, to take it away from quickfire then, legacy means nothing to you, but is there an element of you that sees what you're, the work you're doing now as the legacy of Ali? No, no. The work I started was the legacy of Ali. So 10 million happy was for Ali. 1 billion happy is for, th for the rest of us. I, I don't know how to say this, but if, we're, if you're chasing legacy, you're driven by your ego and you're driven by your ego even before you die, even after you die. It's like, how stupid is that? I, I, I know it sounds really weird, hmm? but isn't what matters hmm? the legacy of this minute? Isn't this what matters? Like, I'm, I'm going to do this minute right and then the next minute has its own legacy. What advice would you give to a teenage Mo just starting out? <laughs> I say life is a video game. Absolutely is a video game. And so, you know, when I, when I played with Ali, Ali was much better than I was when he was alive. I think I would beat him now, but when he was alive, he was so much better than me. And I was very strategic. I would actually go and try to finish the game. Ali would try to play the game. Very different. Hmm? He would go to the difficult parts of the game where there are explosions and smoke. And I would ask him why? Why would you go there? And he says, this is where all the fun is. This is where you learn, you develop, and you become a better gamer, right? Think about that. If life was an, a game, it's an infinite game. It's not about winning. It's not about the destination. It's about the gameplay, okay? It's about enjoying every minute of the game. And have you learned to do that in life, to chase? Nobody ever learns to do that fully, but I think the most... The most perfect example I had, and I had the honor of spending an hour and a half with him, is the, His Holiness, the, the, the Dalai Lama, where truly you, he comes across as one of the wisest men uh, on earth, but also the biggest kid you can ever meet. And it's such a wonderful combination because we were really talking about very deep topic and important projects, and we were laughing our heads off and just all over the place. And it was wonderful in every possible way. Brilliant. One book that you would recommend our listens to this podcast get their hands on and Stephen Bartlett's Happy Sexy Millionaire. Damn you, Stephen. So well written, to the point, uh, amazing in every possible way. And finally, your one golden rule for listeners to live a high-performance life. 
choose what it is that you want to perform. If you perform adequately at something that matters, it's much better than performing brilliantly at something that doesn't. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's been wonderful. Damien. Jake. What a bright man. Amazing. Once it, that was a real eye opener. I'm a very simple guy. And sometimes I found myself really happy. It was quite hard. You might have noticed a few of my questions. The question wasn't quite ready because I'm still <laughs> processing the answer he's just given to the previous question. And, you know, I think it's a good reminder that sometimes it is good to go deep, like to go really deep and just to go a bit extra with things rather than just float through on the surface. Like I want to listen now to that conversation two, three, four times over because I know that every time I listen to it, I will get something more from it. Yeah. What I was intrigued about was that, you know, he was a guy that's been phenomenally successful in his life and then he's had the almost the unimaginable trauma of losing his son to five preventable mistakes that were made. And I think what he's offering us is the quest that he's been on. He made that distinction between a quest and a journey to understand the importance of happiness. And I think what he was sharing with us was invaluable. That that flowchart, for example, of asking, is it true? Then can I do anything about it? And then what can I do with this presence in my life? Um, was an incredible, just a three-step process that any of us can adopt at any stage. I really liked it when he was talking about that as well. When When he was kind of saying that, you know, you've got the facts, like the thing. Everything else is kind of added on, made up, your interpretation, your opinion of what else might be there. And it's like, actually, how often do I spend my days taking into consideration things that actually don't exist? Yeah. Shitloads. <laughs> all the time. I'm all the time thinking about things that don't exist. You know, does it mean this? Does it mean that? Did they actually want to tell me this? Or everything has double meaning or deeper meaning or has some kind of other element that isn't actually there when I consider it. And maybe like I'm overthinking things because I've been taught that I need to look into it and really sort of investigate things that people are saying or what's going on. Cause you think that's a strength or a, or a superpower, but actually sometimes it can be the one thing that derails you maybe. Yeah. It's the Occam's razor that the simplest solution is actually the one that we miss out on. I think another thing that stood out for me, I'd be interested in your view on it, Jake, is that 90 second rule about how you can only hold anger in your system for 90 seconds. And then you rethink it again and reprocess it. Yeah, I absolutely think that's right. And I think that's a good learning curve, actually, for everyone that listens to this podcast. You only hold anger for 90 seconds. Johnny Wilkinson won the Rugby World Cup and felt joy for 30 seconds. You know, everything is fleeting. Everything passes. So actually, all you can do is be in the moment. Like, it really doesn't matter what happened 30 seconds ago or in 30 seconds time. I liked it when he, when we spoke about legacy and he said, the legacy is this moment. Like right now, this is this moment right now. You, me and the people listening to this podcast will never get it back. So just enjoy this moment. It, who knows what happens in five minutes? One of us might not be around anymore, but right now, this is it. This is the moment. And I think that is a powerful way to live your life. Yeah. And again, I think it's a real challenge to this idea of the traditional view of high performance that we're constantly striving for the next thing and the next thing, whereas sometimes high performance is just being happy in this moment where we are. Lovely way to finish. Thanks, Damo. Thanks, mate. Right then, it's time to meet another high performance listener. This is the part of the show that Damien and I really love because it's an opportunity for us to find out 
not just why people listen to the podcast, but I think also the episodes which have really impacted them, which is without question helpful for you if you're wondering where to go for inspiration among the hundred plus episodes of High Performance. So it's a, a very warm welcome to Matt Trainer. Hi, Matt. Hi, how are you? Really well, thanks very much. Listen, you you pinged us a message. You got in touch with us on Facebook. Um, but I think you're probably the person to share this message rather than us. Um, because the thing that stood out to me most of all was that you listen to High Performance. You also watch High Performance on YouTube. But also, you've made a big big call in the last couple of years and you have a side hustle going on. I, I do, yes. <laughs> yeah, thanks for the uh, the kind intro. I suppose it all started. Um, yeah, I was, uh, I, I was fortunate enough to spend a little bit of time away uh, and I was on holiday doing the, the pit stop, as you guys would normally call it. That's when I, I take the chance to, to reflect and just ask myself some some tough questions. Am I doing the right thing? Am I going the right direction? And uh, and whilst I was doing that, I was listening to one of the pods and, and you were talking about um, being compassionate and humble. I know that's the, a message you guys send frequently. So I was just compelled to reach out and say, uh, and say thanks for the pod. It's been a great inspiration to me since it started. And then more so recently, because like you said, I, I've had a side hustle that's now uh, I've decided to take that leap of faith and um, and commit to it, which is really exciting, but also quite um, <laughs> anxiety producing at the same time, trying my best to to enjoy the journey. Um, so it's, a, it's at the very start of that. I, I know on the, on the pod, you guys talk about um, Joseph Campbell and, and the shape of a hero's journey, and, and that's close to my heart. So I'm at the beginning of that, and I've um, yeah closed my eyes and, and, and pressed twist, I suppose. And now I'm uh, on the cusp of getting ready for the, for the messy middle. So, yeah, I, I've left a, a corporate role with a comfortable salary and, um, yeah, try and see if I can get a tune out of my idea. So tell us about that moment then, Matt, because you presenting that in a really conventional way of like, you've had this idea, you've decided to take the leap, but what you've missed out there is the courage it takes. So what were the kind of questions you asked yourself that then prompted you to take that leap? Yeah, um, lots. I had a, had a big long list on my phone <laughs> that I think reached into the hundreds and it, and it started with the, with the usual stuff. Uh, which was at the safe place. Can I pay my bills? Can I feed my children? All that kind of tour of duty as a, as a father and as a parent. So you started at the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Make sure I'm secure and, yeah. and I've got a house and all that good stuff. And as I worked through it, I, um, I, I slowly beginning to convince myself, I always use my place as a father as a bit of a barometer. Would I tell my children to go and chase their dreams and follow their heart? And the answer is yes. And I don't want to be that hypocrite. So that was a that was a big turning point. But yeah, I, I covered a lot of ground, whether I should, whether I shouldn't. And um, the stars aligned. I asked, I spoke to all my friends, my family. I, I asked a lot of questions to see if there was a there was enough bite or enough interest. Uh, and yeah, I wrapped all that and helping one and um yeah and gave it a go but it, it did require a lot of bravery i'm um again i know you guys mentioned this on the past but big fan of Brene brown and and i'm really tuned into um the power of you know just being vulnerable exposing yourself and, and the bravery that that takes and but that's where all the joy is so I, i'm really bought into that and uh yeah i'm hoping it rings true for me in the coming months and years do you remember the the words or the phrase or the sentence or the conversation that opened your eyes to the power of failure on high performance yeah i did and um you know i i've had a, an interesting relationship with failure over the years especially my young years coming out of university and uh and how failure was a real 
a real tough thing to deal with. It was, you know, I was a bit of a perfectionist. It was, you know, almost win at all costs. But uh, the moment you talk about it was, yeah, the Johnny Wilkinson episode, and and that really kind of knocked me back. Really, there was so much that resonated with me with some of the successes I've had, albeit them on a much much smaller, humbling scale. Is that, yeah, sometimes the, the destination isn't all it's cracked up to be, but it's that that process and that. Just the way Johnny articulated it really landed with me, and, and that helped me to, I suppose, reframe failure, shortcomings, and uh, yeah, over the something I've battled with for the last five, ten years. But but more recently, yeah, I think that episode just allowed me to be a little bit more comfortable with the notion of it, and and as Johnny had said, sit with the emotion and uh, and work through it. And and there's some gold. I love that. Finally, Matt, are you at a position where you can tell us anything about your? side hustle your new life the uh the messy middle that you're in at the moment or are you keeping your plans under wraps at the moment no i'll, I'll happily talk about it yeah it's uh, as you quite rightly said it's quite embryonic so it's an early part of the the journey but for uh for many years and and throughout my my career i've noticed that there's a big focus on kind of ironically we were talking about it failures and things that go wrong and in the business world you know we want to try and put a solution to them but i I think there's a huge opportunity to shine a light on some of the great things that go on and i don't think there's enough of that uh, especially in the corporate world in marketing and sales and my new hustle is a a platform that allows you to capture that Uh, and then in turn translate it into success stories sales pitches account reviews performance reviews I'm spending my pennies done. I'm building a platform. I've got clever techie people, much more smarter than me, making it real. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that people will buy the notion of just capturing the really good stuff that goes on. Love it. Well, listen, keep watching us on YouTube on the spin bike. Keep uh, checking out the podcast in the mornings. And thank you so much, Matt, for spending time with us. Cheers, Tara. So there we go. Another episode done. Listen, please, 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 please rate and subscribe this podcast. It's the greatest way for us to grow our reach and to spread the word to new people, people that need this stuff and haven't heard it yet. Of course, you can also join the High Performance Circle. It's totally free and you will get so much more from us. Just go to thehighperformancepodcast.com. Thank you so much to Finn, to Hannah, to Will, to Eve, to Gemma, to the entire High Performance team. Huge thanks to Mo as well for coming on and sharing so much with us. Buy his books, check out his podcast, but please remember, you deserve to be happy. Chase world-class basics. Don't get high on your own supply. Stay humble, curious, and empathetic. And we'll see you soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.